Hey everyone, I'm your host, Michael, and this is the Imposters Cafe, a show about one simple truth. No one has any idea what they're doing. Not at work, not in life, and you know what? That's okay. On this episode, I speak with Chris Streeter, marketing executive, leadership coach, and much, much more. We talk about fueling your passion inside a day job and the art of volunteering to be uncomfortable. So let's get into it. Chris, it is great to see you, my friend. So for listeners who have yet to have the pleasure, what are you doing these days? Yeah, so the elevator pitch, right, is that um, I am working sort of by day in corporate marketing, um, doing marketing operations, which is my bread and butter, sort of my specialty in the corporate space, um, and working a little bit by night as a leadership coach, helping new managers really find their way as leaders and really develop their skills and their passion for leading and managing others. That's, that's quite a lot. So I guess the obvious question, because you and I met in the, in the corporate retail world, and I know that's not always what you've been doing and neither is that even what we, uh, we worked on together years ago. That's not what you're doing now. So let, let's scale it back. So where did you start? Like in the beginning of your career, where did you start out? Because everyone kind of kicks off from a different position, right? And every generation has different terms for what they go to school for, because God knows that changes. So where did you uh, start the journey? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because I, um, when I was in kindergarten, I told my parents I wanted to be a school bus driver, and there are elements of what I do today that feel um, sort of eerily close to that. Um, but no, I studied, um, I studied printing, which is just such an esoteric and and, and I think really interesting space to have started out in. Um, you know, I attended a um, public. Uh, college in California, um, a really wonderful school, and was part of a program that really zeroed in on you know the printing industry and and taught this sort of three hundred and sixty model of um, of that world. And so it was everything from the sort of design aspect, the technology aspect, the business aspect, um, you know, and all of that. And so it was this really interesting way to get like a well rounded education. It was very niche, um, but I learned a little bit about a lot of things. From there, I jumped into advertising because I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, and, you know, and that was sort of my first foray into um, making my way in the world. So um, the my first job, I graduated into uh, a recession, right? I won't tell you which one because it'll, it'll date myself. Um, but I graduated into a recession and, you know, I was living in the Bay Area and there were no jobs. There were just no jobs anywhere, you know, and, and I probably put out 50 job applications looking for something. Um, and finally, uh, a friend of mine who was a, uh, a higher up at an agency, um, not a big agency, like a small, smaller private agency. I was talking to him and telling him how hard I was struggling to find something. He was like, well, you should come in and talk to our head of production. You should just meet this person. And I went in and... I, you know, I went in to spend the day to shadow this person and I just saw, you know, opportunity to, to help, right? They were a little bit disorganized. There was a lot going on. It seemed like they were understaffed. There were, you know, I took notes on a call. I like offered to fax some things. We used to send faxes, as you might know. Um, and, right. Um, and it, I kind of just stuck around. Um, 
I had not, literally I had nothing going on, right? Like I was unemployed and just out of college and I was helpful for a day and they were like, this was great. Thanks for coming in. It was nice to meet you. And I was like, well, I'm not doing anything tomorrow. You want me to come back and finish that project? And they were like, sure, if you have time. And after about three days of just coming into this office and working with this team, someone from HR seemed to come by and sort of whisper something to them about um, unpaid labor. And all of a sudden, I had a job offer. And, it's funny how that works. And it was this, it, it really was. It really was. Um, you know, I don't think I would have made it much more than a week uh, of unpaid labor. But it was this interesting moment where I discovered, by happenstance, um, the power and importance of tenacity. Um, cause I just, I kind of did it out of desperation and I was learning from these people and I had the chance to help. Um, but it got my foot in the door. And so from there, I really grew a career in production and I did a lot of different things in advertising. Um, and you know, as you know, from working in the ad space from the advertising world, right. It is, um, not the most settled work environment. <laughs> And at a certain point, that stress started to kind of eat at me. And I took an opportunity in on the client side, sort of in corporate retail marketing. Um, and that was it, right? Like from there on, that's been, you know, that's been the gig for me. And it's just been this experience of exploring aspects of that, um, of that work um, and aspects of, of my ability, right? And where I can offer service and be of service to teams and to leaders and to um and to the business. So that's how I kind of got started. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's quite a, the runaround. I, what's funny is that what you say, I mean, the way that you describe those, those first career moves, I feel like it resonates for a lot of people, even if you're not in the creative space, like we both started, started out in, it's almost that willingness to, and I think you've said this before, just to put your hand up and say, I can do it or I'll try or that's something I'll do without this pressure of like, that's what I'm here for. That's my job title. That's my training. There's almost that that need to just kind of show up and say, like, I'm just going to do it, especially if you're in the position where you need to find work or better yet, you're just trying to get your foot in the door, especially when you're right out of school. It's almost that that need to do whatever it takes whatever the job is and recognizing that wherever you're at, there's probably room for you to like find your own niche if you're crafty enough. It's, it's so true. And I think, you know, what you said really resonates because I, there's a lot of folks that I work with either as a coach or just as a leader in the business who kind of, um, they're just waiting for those moments to come. They're waiting for opportunity to, to find them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Like that's, you know, if you are good at your job and you're hardworking and you work for a good leader who appreciates you, like they'll give you opportunity over time as the business presents it. Um, but a lot of people are hungrier than that. And what I find is that in my own experience, when you put your hand up and you say, Hey, I'd like to help with that. You may or may not have done it. You may or may not know how to do it. You know, and you, you know, and when you're candid about that, I think I can be helpful. I've never done this, but I think, I, I think I can help in some way. More often than not, you get access to opportunities that weren't going to land on your plate, certainly not in the near future, right? And so you can move yourself faster, you can learn faster, you can grow faster when you put yourself out there. Um, and it's hard, you know, it's intimidating to do that. But when you've done it a few times, you start to realize the power and you start to realize how few people are putting their hand up. And if you're one of those people that's willing to put their hand up, 
you can go you can go a long way and you can learn a lot yeah yeah i totally agree it also requires a certain amount of uh, trust in um in yourself and also just comfort mm-hmm. in the discomfort of maybe not having the experience i mean i've tried trying to think the best way to put it. I've, I've tried to step into roles or even take on work that I had no idea how to do, but I thought, well, the worst, the worst case scenario is I end up where I started, but you have to be comfortable with complete failure. Uh, but then again, that's always a possibility anyway. Right? So why not is the question I would yeah. always ask myself. I mean, it's never that easy, I suppose. Well, I mean, I don't know that it's never that easy. I think sometimes we get in our own ways with that. And I think that we, listen, our egos are fragile, right? Like kind of by design, (laughs) that's not a bad thing. But once you become aware of the the fragility of your ego and frankly, the inconsequentialness of it, right? Once you start to realize that like you assess the risk versus the opportunity and more often than you would think the risk of failure is minimal. You're not going to be set massively set back. You might have lost the time that you invested in the thing, but you've learned something. Like the 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 opportunity is that you learned something important. You got better at something, or you got a chance to be exposed to something that you wouldn't have otherwise. And I think a lot of people really have that fear of failure without really investigating what failure means for them in that context. People are going to be mad at me. People are going to laugh at me. People are going to think I'm an idiot, but they're probably not. If you're really honest with yourself, you really like understand the dynamic of the people you're working with trying something and not getting it right the first time is not the end of the world and we are not judged off we are often not judged nearly as harshly by others as we would be by as we are by ourselves that's right on the mark especially when you consider the the whole scenario of imposter syndrome which of course comes up a lot uh amongst conversations on a show with friends as we've mentioned and i think that's something I, I've tried to frame it as when you find yourself in that position, it's really just an opportunity to learn. It's, it's recognizing that this is a place where you go forward and learn, or you can just change and that's fine. But like you said, our egos are there just to kind of protect us from being hurt, which is funny when you look at it that way. And then you go back to your career choices. And you're like, yeah, that actually isn't as bad as, or it wasn't as bad as I expected. Yeah. And, and the opportunity sometimes that you can't see on the other side of failure, you know, and I, you know, it's hard to not find a, you know, a treatise on the power of failure these days, right? But it's, but it's because it's so true. It's because it's such a powerful teaching tool. Um, I feel like what I've learned and what I try to coach my clients in um, is how to harness that imposter, right? Because the imposter is always with us, right? And, I, and I've been thinking about this a lot since you invited me on the show. It's obviously, it's the title of your, your podcast. It's a great, it's a great topic to explore. Um, but the imposter for, for us is really a signal. And I think we often confuse it as a message. It's a signal that you're in a, something new, maybe something scary, but it's not a message that you can't do something. It's not telling you anything other than where you are. And it's then up to us to sort of inspect that signal and understand where is it coming from? What's motivating it? What's, what's causing this? And it might just be that it's new, right? It doesn't mean you're not capable. It doesn't mean you can't figure it out. It doesn't mean you don't have the tools. It just means that it's new still going to be scary but scary is okay if you've got the tools if you trust yourself if you have the ability to to learn and to adapt which everyone does it does not surprise me that you've stepped into the coaching world because you can speak to this perfectly and you know it comes with experience i'm sure but 
you know, I, I hate to be like, oh, well, when did you decide? But I mean, the truth is, it seems like you've always had this perspective then. You've kind of grown into this role. Maybe you, you were meant to do this uh, from the start. When did the, the idea of coaching come to you? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say it was always there, right? Like we all sort of dream of the lifetime calling. And I, I you know, I'd love I think this is mine, but it, but it wasn't always a present idea for me. Um, I really under, came to understand the power of coaching when I became a manager. Um, and in that first corporate retail job, I was, I worked for the same company for a long time and I worked with some really amazing managers and leaders and I learned a lot from them. Um, and one of the things I learned was how to be a manager and it's not contrary to some, some popular belief. It's not about telling people what to do. It's not about directing the troops. It's about making people better at their job. It's about making them more efficient and more effective. And it's about helping them grow in their own roles. And I learned early on that as a leader and as a manager, I was X percent more effective if I made my team more effective. And that I could lift my own boat by raising the whole waterline, just focusing my energy on my team and developing my team and my people and helping them see their own potential understand their barriers and roadblocks and really address those things to improve their own performance. Um, and even when people are, are really, really good and they're rock star performers, there's still things that they could do um, or that they need to work on. We all have those things. And so I found that by focusing on that, I made my whole team more effective. I made myself more effective. I made my, you know, my contribution to the business more effective. And that, that lesson stuck with me. Um, and it became for me part of my, part of my story and part of my offering, right? When I, you know, when I think about, you know, choices I make in my career, it is about what I can offer to the business I'm working for, to the people that I'm working with. Um, and a lot of that just comes from recognizing that power of like, I can develop teams, I can help people be better at their work. And if the people are better at their, that are working on the team are better at their work, then the work is better Then the people enjoy working together better. Like all the things, like all the metrics you care about, all the things that matter improve. So that's always been my focus since I became a leader. That's always been something I wanted to do and something that I put my time and energy into. And I wasn't great at it in the beginning. <laughs> like lesson of this story, right? Like you start out and it's okay to fail. And I did fail the first time. There's one poor human out in the universe who I completely miserably failed. And luckily she's a great individual and a great person. And I think she's probably forgiven me for being such a terrible manager, but I learned so, so much from, you know, from working with her. And I grew so much from that experience and I became infinitely better after, you know, after that experience. And from there, I just started to sort of move forward. So fast forward a couple of years, right. And I've been doing this and I've been coaching teams and leading teams and developing teams. And I had this opportunity to take a break, a little bit of a break, a pause, um, in between career steps and realized that that was the chance that I had been waiting for to really hone in on this skill. So, you know, so that's when I sort of started my coaching practice. Um, when I look at what I've done in my career, when I look at the work and I look at the teams and I look at the businesses, if I strip away sort of all the, the detail of the projects or of the, you know, the, you know, companies or the products, the thing that is at the core of my work has always been coaching since I became a leader. And that's where I found that unlock to like, go do this for other people, absent the business part. That's great. It's almost like, like you said, beneath everything that you're doing, either by title or some of the day-to-day, uh, -day, seems like you've 
this was the baseline. This was the foundation of what you were doing with other jobs. And I, I do think that, you know, people talk about how people skills, soft skills as a leader or otherwise, they're so important. And there's lots of things that can be overshadowing those skills of, of being a leader or better yet, just being a good person to work with who can be, uh, you know, rising the tide for all the boats. It's almost like you were training yourself to become a coach without realizing it. And then when you decided to pull the trigger, it just seemed to be a natural, natural move. So let me real quick ask, how do you define a failure from a professional coaching standpoint or just coaching in general? What's, what's the, and you don't have to be specific to, you know, people or uh, examples more than you want to. I'm just curious how you define that because it's, it seems like you're already in a position where you're helping just by showing up for someone to even be a, a sounding board to learn from. So I'm just curious what that even looks like. Because I, I personally think you're probably being really hard on yourself when you don't need to be. Well, so it's interesting. I think there's two ways as a coach that you can fail. Um, and the first is is exactly what you just said, right? Like showing up is what is honestly the most important thing that a coach does for someone. Um, and if you fail to show up, if you fail to be present, for your client, if you fail to connect with them, to, to listen to them, to understand what they're saying and to investigate it, you're, you're going to let them down. You're not going to help them in a meaningful way. Um, all the answers as a coach come from the client. You know, as a coach, you believe, you understand that your client has the answers inside of them. And all you are doing is helping them on a journey to uncover those answers um, and it's interesting because as you, you know, as you move into the space, right, a lot of people, and I've met a lot of people in my training and sort of in the early days of my coaching who said, oh, yeah, but I'm really good at giving advice. And that's why I want to be a coach or that's why, but, or you give great advice. Shouldn't you be a coach? Um, and I do think I give pretty good advice. I'm not going to lie. Um, my spouse doesn't always agree with me. Uh, <laughs> But the reality is, you know, when I'm sitting with a client, when I'm face to face with a client or screen to screen with a client, um, I don't know their life. I don't know their choices. I don't know their internal and external struggles. I know what they've told me. And so all I can help them do is explore themselves. I can't touch the outside factors. I can't coach the people in their lives that aren't present. Um, and if I offer them advice, it's only going to come from my own bag of tricks, right? And that's not the right fit for them. Probably not the right fit. Occasionally you have that moment as a coach where like, I think I know the answer. I think I know the answer. I just want to tell them this answer. Um, and you, you sort of work to suppress that because the reality is there's something you don't understand about their situation or their life. Um, you have to help them find their own answers. And so that's the first way that you can fail, right? So giving them your answer, not listening actively, sort of like not being present, just like not showing up. Um, and the second way is just by picking the wrong clients and letting the wrong clients pick you. Um, and I think that's also, you know, that can be a struggle as a coach. Um, you know, a lot of folks aren't doing this as a side hustle, but are as their full-time job. And so, you know, you go to a coach, they, they need a client, they're happy to take you. Um, and even a great coach can let you down if they're not the right fit for you, for your personality, for your situation, for what you're looking for, you know? And so it's like, if you went to a, you know, healthy habits coach, right? Like a diet and exercise sort of healthy habits coach. And you're like, I really want to talk about my relationship with my boss. It's like, no, that's not a great fit. You've, you've not maybe made a smart choice there. They might be able to help you, but, but you're not, 
they're not as equipped as they could be. And, you know, and you're not sort of in the right spot as a client. So I think that's the other thing. It's just making sure that you're um, sending the right signals out, you know, into the world to help the right people find you. And then being really mindful as you meet people and talk to them about what they are looking for, what they need and are really candid about whether you think you can help them or not. Yeah, that, that really makes sense. I think a lot of people probably address uh, the idea of finding a coach or, or a therapist or any uh, specifically matched pairing, if you will, is kind of a pick one from the lot and they all will fit just fine. And I think it's really interesting to hear that it does require a certain mix of either subject matter or personality that needs to fit. So as I was gonna say, I've written a little, I've written a little bit about the struggle of finding a coach, right? Like it's hard and people, a lot of people don't really understand how to find a good one, but you're exactly right. It's not like picking, um, you know, a painkiller off the shelf at the pharmacy where there's 17 versions of the same thing, the generic or the branded or this brand or that brand. Like it's all, it's all ibuprofen. Just take one. Um, that's not how it works. It is about fit. It's about experience. It's about background. Sometimes it's about certifications, right? Coaches can be certified to different levels and different specialties. Um, sometimes it's just about experience. You can get an uncertified coach who's like a perfect fit for you because of what they've done and what you need to do. And so it really is about sort of investigating that and asking those probing questions and being willing to meet with a couple people, right? Doing your research, talking to some folks, looking for people who you tr- who you have trust and rapport with and who you feel are being candid with you because that's what you need. You need candid, open honesty. And it's just like finding a great therapist, right? Like if you're not honest with them, if they're not transparent with you, right? Like it's not going to work well. So uh, questions I have uh, for you based on all the coaching. So you, um, you're now officially certified, if I'm not mistaken. Well, you know, the certification in the coaching space is... Um, kind of a ladder you climb. So I'm, I am, I am a, a professionally certified life coach, um, professional coach. Um, I'm not yet ICF certified and there's, and in the coaching space, there's a governing body called, um, international coaching federation. And there's a few of them. There's no official sanction. Lots of great coaches don't have their ICF certification. I'm working towards mine. Um, which is something that I'm doing now and something that I've been doing, um, you know, for the last bit. Um, and that takes a long time. You know, they require a large number of, of professional hours and there's different levels you can advance to. The nice thing about that, about the training and certification there is it's really consistent and it's really client focused. Um, but there's other great programs out there. And so, you know, for someone who's looking for a coach, I would say, you know, use that as your first lens, use certification as your first lens, but, but not your only one. And if somebody really is, seems like a really great fit, they look like they've got really relevant experience for you, talk to them anyway, because lots and lots of people who know what they're doing in this space um, have just not decided to go for, you know, really deep certification or have gone for one of the other certification paths. That makes sense. Let's roll things back real quick because you're obviously well versed in this entire um, this entire area now, and you're pretty far down the path. So I'm just curious when you decided to officially pursue the path of certification, that had to be a little bit intimidating. Talk me through what that was like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's scary, right? It's scary just like anything that you do, and it's scary just like anybody putting themselves out there for the first time. Um, I I had I had the benefit of time of a limited time. And for me, it was a big motivator. I was, I had a six month sabbatical that I was taking. And for me, it was like, Hey, I, I want to do this. And I want to do this more than any barrier that's going to come up. 
And so that became this motivating force for me to say like, okay, all the things that I can do that can get in my own way, all the things, all the, the situations I can invent to say like, oh, but I should do this first, but I need to do that. Oh, am I really qualified for this? Oh, have I done? like all those things that the imposter throws up, right? I realized were not as valuable as doing this work now while I had this opportunity. So for myself, um, I sort of work, I sort of short circuited that process that, that I sort of like tried to look around the corner and see where my imposter was going to show up. And so I made a plan for how I would sort of get to that digital shingle, right? All the steps I needed to take. And I looked at the ones that I knew were my own personal sand traps, right? The places where I was just going to get lost in the weeds and fiddle with the knobs, right? So like you and I talked about this recently, like setting up a website, man, I work with really incredibly talented graphic designers every single day. And I work in really creative spaces. I, I am not a designer, but I know what good design looks like. And I know I'm not capable of producing it. So I, <laughs> it was like, well, I can go out and I can try to find somebody who's got the time or I can pay them to do this thing for me on the side. And it's going to take some amount of time based on their availability, not mine. Um, I can try to do it myself and really hate that, you know, I can like fiddle with it until I think it's okay. And I just decided, you know, I'm not going to let this be a barrier. And so I just, you know, went to the old trusty WordPress template library and picked one and typed into it and did a spell check and sort of hit publish, you know, and, and is that the best thing that I could have done? I don't know. Right. And for everybody that answer is different, but for me, that was a thing that was going to become a barrier if I let it. And so I just pushed right through it and decided that I was not going to let myself interrogate this step in the process because it would hold me up. Um, and there's a few other things like that, but I just, I, you know, I really felt like I had to do that um, in order to get to a place where I could be proud of what I was doing and be, and be happy that I had met a goal. It's the flywheel situation, right? Like once you get something moving a little bit that works, it, then all of a sudden you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can gather momentum. But I feel like what you're saying about the, um, the building on the site, I, like we talked about, I am notorious for this kind of thing where I can plan and plan and plan and I'll find ways to postpone any kind of actual action because I know that I, in my, my safe little zone of like deciding what the logo should look like, deciding, you know, what size font, if I spend an hour doing that, I don't need to spend the same amount of time actually publishing something or saying like, asking myself the hard questions of how do I actually get this out to the world or what I'm actually doing. So I almost feel like part of what we often do is postponing the hard decisions by inserting all of the softball plans and all the really fun, inspiring things, you know, searching Pinterest for ideas and how to lay out your office, but not actually doing it because it feels good and safe. We don't need to actually act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's exactly right. When you say safe space, right? That's what we're doing when we do that. We're, we're, we're indulging ourselves at the expense of achieving our goal. Um, and it's fun. It can be a lot of fun. I'm not knocking the joy that you can derive from, you know, geeking out on something that you really love, but do that because you love it. Not because it's step three of five to meet your goal. So 
now you're further down past that point. You have a website. You didn't stop there. And and things are going well. It's not a good website, by the way. Don't look at it too closely. But <laughs> you know, something I learned way back in well, I don't say I learned. I learned I didn't know it um, back in college. I got yelled at uh, by professors about my my ability to handle fo- form versus function. And and finding that balance. And it, it was kind of a trick question at the time, like which one matters more? And of course, every college student will have a you know grandiose perspective on that. But I think it's that balance of, does it work? Does it, is it functional? Can you tweak? Yes. But to your point, if you have the most beautiful website that never actually gets published, then does it matter? Well, and that's it, right? It's like, you know, what what's the actual traffic you're going to get the first couple months? So like, don't sweat it. Well, I think you also have the benefit of having been on the, um, the in, inner workings of marketing and other um, creative uh, aspects. So you, you know very well the difference between what you think matters and then what an audience actually interacts with or how they respond. So that does matter. But so I guess the thing I was trying to get at before I sidebarred us there was, so what's the, um, what's the future look like in terms of coaching for you? Like what's the, what's the outlook I'm not saying like, what's the five-year plan? Because that's such a ridiculous question. But what is the future you hope to see with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a thing that I'm doing, you know, as a passion project right now. Um, You know, I I, I still have a day job. um, And it's, you know, it's a big enough day job that it takes my time. And it needs plenty of my time and attention, which is great. And I find it satisfying and fulfilling. And and I do love my work, um, my day job work, my corporate work. Um, But the coaching space is where I really get my energy from and where I really get my passion from. And so for me, it's about um, building that business, maintaining that business and over time growing it. Um, you know, I'd love to get to a place where one day in the future that can be sort of my sole endeavor, or at least the thing that I am able to dedicate a proportionate amount of my time to, um, you know, I'm not there today. Um, but I am, you know, out in the space helping clients and, you know, and actively looking for, you know, the right number of clients um, at any given time to just make sure that I'm contributing, um, that I'm helping other people on their own journey and helping other people grow. Because at the end of the day, that's what I find most satisfying is to watch people have that unlock moment, to have that aha for themselves and to go on to do something they didn't think they could do, they didn't know they were capable of. That's like the perfect statement to have on top of your uh, the cornerstone of your of your site. Not that everyone needs to have this side business or other endeavor pursuit. It, it seems like it's always a nice balance too. So if you have something that is extremely fulfilling, forget if it's a certified business or it's a whatever pursuit you have that maybe counterbalances your day job. It seems like you can also have something that is extremely fulfilling. And when the day job does not fill that cup for you, when you don't feel like really energized by that, you have that counterbalance, right? And I feel like if you find that, and it happens to be something that you are passionate about, where your goal is exactly something like you said, you're achieving that, then you feel fulfilled. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's right on. And I think, you know, it's risky sometimes to take something you're passionate about and put 100% behind it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm amazed and impressed by the people who do that because people do it every single day. Um, but for a lot of people, they're not comfortable with that. And the pressure of making your passion project, the whole thing, the whole focus, um, 
is that you can sometimes contaminate the part that you love before you've really figured out how to make it work as, as a business, frankly, right? Because everybody does these things. Unfortunately, we don't do them entirely as charity, right? Um, and so that's actually where the, the quote-unquote side hustle um, can be a really powerful tool because it lets you sort of test something. It lets you pilot it. It lets you learn about it, explore it. It lets you get fed and fulfilled by something that you love without making it a high-risk endeavor. Yeah. I think that's what burns out a lot of people, right? Where they, they put all the pressure for success on something, especially if it's something you need. So for instance, like if you find yourself in a position where you need to find work and you're like, well, I'll just amp up my side hustle of whatever. But then there's all this pressure on that to instantly become successful and successful in ways that can also support you financially. It's not a recipe for disaster because that can work, but it does require that you put 100% effort and focus into it. And to your point, if it's something you're passionate about, that passion is kind of like a bit of a side note when you're trying to make it functional and successful and you know monetarily successful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the pressure of monetary success is really great and it can distort our decisions and our behaviors in ways that we don't always intend for it to. And so, you know, when you do that, when you put that pressure on something you love, you, you put the core of what you love about it at risk, or at least you can. So, you know, it just, it depends person to person. And some folks are better at holding on to that core kernel of truth as they move through scaling a thing, as they learn, move through monetizing a thing. Um, and some people can't. And I think you just have to be really open and clear-eyed about that, about you know where you are on that spectrum and about what the risk is to this thing that you love. Um, and it's okay to take a lower profile, a lower risk path and continue forward, right? It's okay to opt into a different path that continues you in the direction you want to go. Not everybody has to go on this sort of zero to 60 trajectory. This, you know, It's not a binary choice. Yeah, it's that comparison, right? Your your scale for comparison, your value comparison of what you're doing, it's not everyone else's. And it shouldn't be, right? It needs to be the comparison of your own progress, but not, oh, well, I know people who have launched their own side business and within a week they were, you know, pricing out yachts because it just worked out so well, you know? And I think that's the, the fallacy. But like how many of those stories really are? Yeah, exactly. It's like we hear about these things, but how many of those things are really happening every day? And, and you know, there is that moment of like, I had, listen, like I think I'm good at what I do. I have, I have some faith in myself and, and I'm proud of the work that I do. Uh, I also am self-aware enough to know that that's not me. I'm not that guy that's got, you know, you know a VC-funded billion-dollar idea. Honestly, even if I had a billion-dollar idea, I would go find somebody who knew how to do the billion dollar work, right? Like there's just a little bit of self-awareness for myself there that I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay moving at a different pace than that in my life and in the things that I love. Yeah. That's, it, it's great to have that, that self-awareness that exactly. I, I think that's one of the things that it just continues to always pay itself forward the more you cultivate that skill. So you've kind of talked about if you are launching your own business, if you're trying to follow this and, and some of the, I don't say pitfalls, but some of the, the things to look out for. And as a bookend to that, what advice would you give to someone who's 25 or even yourself at 25 when pursuing some new passion or even considering starting a side business? I don't know that I could have learned the lessons I learned in my career to date, right? There's plenty of lessons still to learn. 
I don't think I could have learned the lessons um, any other way than the way that I did. And so there's an element of, you know, if I stepped out of the time machine and grabbed my 21-year-old self walking off the college campus, you know, to go find a job and said, this is what you need to do. This is how it's going to work. Um, I don't know that it would have worked. Um, I think I had to discover a lot of things for myself. Um, I had to learn to trust myself, right? And we talked earlier about the power of trusting yourself, the importance of trusting yourself. Um, and that doesn't, no one can teach you that. No one can teach you that. You have to learn it for yourself and you have to come to that awareness. It's almost like there's just no shortcut to any of this. I hate to say it. I hate to say it. You know, I mean, there's certainly, you know, pitfalls that you can avoid, take, you know, like mistakes you can avoid making or pitfalls you can avoid falling into. Um, but, but no, there's no, there's no shortcut for learning. There's no shortcut for experience. Well, it's the fact that we're, we're all used to seeing those life hacks, the, the 10 best ways to hack your time or whatever. I, I think the word should just be retired, but I, I think it's true. I think it's true. We all have to kind of experience it, go through the gauntlet. Otherwise it just doesn't work. There's no way to, to stair step uh, or, or skip ahead. Well, and it's what makes you, you right. And I think, you know, and it's a little trite to say that, but it is the, you are in so many ways, the, the, the cumulative impact of your experiences. And so, you know, to think that, we can change those experiences or shortcut those experiences kind of shortchanging ourselves. Um, you know, yes, avoid making horrendous mistakes, you know, don't do stupid things that will hurt and get yourself hurt. But the experiences that you have good, bad, and other, right. The failures as well as successes all go into who you are and who you are becoming in your life. And so to judge any of them as better or worse than the other, I think is a mistake. I think it's important to hear. I think it's important for us to all have that kind of self-talk because it just doesn't, it doesn't come naturally, but I think eventually you have to kind of learn that dialogue. Okay. So what else do you want to put out into the world, into the universe? I think what I would say, and I think, you know, again, I want to come back to the imposter for a minute um, because I think it's such a powerful force in our lives for good and for evil. Um, you know, I, I think I tried to treat and I tried to help my clients see those moments of that imposter syndrome as, as a flag to create awareness. It's a reason to stop and examine um, and to really look at what the cause of this feeling is. <clears throat> you know, is there a realistic gap in your knowledge or skills that you need to address? Um, is there an unrealistic expectation that you have of yourself? Are you just getting in your own way, right? We all do that. And then make a plan to overcome it. I mean, the biggest thing that you can do is Define the material consequences of failure because more often than not, we will find they are not that great. And we make them bigger than they, than they really are. I really can't think of a better way to wrap things up. So Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to share a glimpse into your world and your pursuits. And of course, for so eloquently talking about some of these subjects. It has been an absolute pleasure. Well, Michael, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it and I really enjoy the show and, and I'm just glad to be a part of it. So thank you. You can find more of Chris Streeter at yourcapacity.org and at yourcapacity on Instagram. If you're enjoying the show, give it a follow on your favorite streaming platform and maybe even a rating over on Apple Podcasts. That is one of the best ways for me to grow the show. And as always, check out more at imposters.cafe. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.